Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode five of season two. And today we have another fantastic guest and just like friend who we've been wanting to have on the podcast for a little bit. So, so glad it finally happened. And we're going to just be talking basically what it's like to work both in sales and marketing and finally hear from someone who's done it both. We found like a unicorn of a person who's done both multiple times and really going to just dive into, you know, like what are the pros of working in sales versus marketing? What do you then empathize about the other person when you then jump into their role and get to kind of try both those out? And if it's not already super obvious who we're talking about, today we're talking with Arthur Castillo. And if you haven't had the pleasure of following Arthur on LinkedIn for a while, like I have had before I think I even met you, he is an absolutely brilliant, like I said, marketer and salesperson. He's gone back and forth between both, done, it feels like also like every part of marketing too, events, social, evangelism. So we're going to get to hear all about what the full journey of marketer to salesperson back and back is like. And before we dive into, you know, sales, marketing, each role, what it's like, Arthur, what you drinking today? Oh, man, I am kind of embarrassed to say, but it's like this hack together old fashioned um, reach desk sent me a nice little kit or was it reach desk gold cast somebody sent me some alcohol and I just like took this little bottle dumped it over some ice. So yeah, we'll put to we'll say it's an Arthur old fashioned. Well, that sounds great, Arthur. I am drinking uh, Coors Banquet. Um, I'm pretty well known for just grabbing whatever beer I have in the fridge, which is typically just like pretty shitty beer, like uh, Bud Light, Coors Banquet, like nothing fancy. I don't do a lot of IPAs or any of that stuff, but um, just another Coors Banquet for me. Standard Thursday, I suppose. Nice. You guys still haven't got sponsored by uh, local IPAs or beer stores, eh? <sighs> Not yet. Not yet. We'll keep trying. Not yet. I was going to say, Arthur, I think that's one of the fanciest cocktails. You're making fun of it, but that we've had as guests have so far. And I actually have a cocktail today, which I was pretty proud of. It is uh, pre-made, but it is a Cosmo. So it's not um, it's not wine. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. Arthur, I know I kind of alluded to your background flip-flopping between both, but if people don't follow your journey as much as I do, do you mind just giving a little bit of context of like, how you started from marketing, going to sales, going back to marketing, and what kind of drew you to both those fields? Yeah. So I'd say, oh man, probably eight years now as an AE in B2B SaaS and joined Chili Pipe originally as an account executive. But it's funny, even like when I got into the, the evangelism role, I realized it was kind of what I was doing in sales, just not, I guess, full-time. And what I mean by that is I was always focused on my buyer's world. Like, how do they make money? What's stopping them from making money? Who are the people that they listen to? And like, when they speak out or post something, they're like, yeah, that, that resonates. And slowly starting to network with those people and trying to branch off and have like a small piece of their network and get associated with it. So that's really how I've always approached sales to the point where a lot of folks would be like, huh, this isn't really a sales call. It almost feels like, yeah, more of a, you know, our world or taking more of that consulting approach. So fast forward to Chili Piper, start off as an account executive, but really dove deep into community and LinkedIn. And I guess my marketing team noticed and they're like, okay, secretly plotting to like bring me over. And there's a bunch of roles that were like, hey, do you want to do social? Do you want to do this and that? And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so I spoke with a, a good mutual friend of ours, Natalie, Nick Bennett. And I was like, hey, I see you talking about field marketing all the time, like, what do you do in field marketing? And he used this analogy that I loved. He was like, you're kind of like the quarterback and you're not necessarily like scoring in the end zone, but you're helping your sales team get into the end zone. Love it. 
yes, I, I want to be that. And lo and behold, when I started off at Chili Piper in the field marketing, they're like, okay, what trade shows and events are we going to? And I'm like, Nick told me not to do trade shows, so I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. So yeah, built up the field marketing department, got to a point where we're really starting to get traction and we had enough data. The, our founders kept saying, hey, we need to see data before we really like scale these efforts and hire more folks. And Jen Allen had actually shared this evangelist article by Ethan Butte where he interviewed, I think, like eight evangelists. And I was like, this might be where I could make the most impact. We had enough data to, to backfill field marketing. I said, hey, what if we kind of hired two people to to scale this and I go into this evangelist role? So that's where it all came from. It was good timing. I think our founders had just spoke with somebody that wasn't doing like pretty much any marketing. And they said, hey, we grew really fast thanks to evangelism. So it was really good timing when I pitched the role. So yeah, that's what I was doing for a while. And to your point, Natalie felt like I was doing whatever needed to be done, uh, going to trade shows, creating content. Um, and yeah, ultimately came to a point where a little bit of a, a need, I guess, internally in my SVP approached me and he said, look, I lost a couple of AEs. Any thoughts on coming back to sales? And I had thought about it. I was like, you know what? One of the main reasons I, I went into marketing was because I was scared as a sales rep of the way that B2B buying was changing. And I thought, okay, now that I've accumulated this, this marketing skill set, how would it actually fit going back into a sales role? And, and here I am. So yeah, excited to dive into it and talk about what I've learned and uh, yeah, what I continue to learn going back into this role. Welcome back to the dark side. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you. It's good. It's good to be back. What things when you were in AE transitioning to marketing were you concerned with when you were evaluating the landscape as a AE in the B2B world? You kind of referenced that. I'm curious what was like freaking you out a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think it was just the way that people were coming in way more qualified. I thought to myself, like, I think sales reps were were very guilty of thinking like shorter term and saying, hey, if they're not going to buy this month or this quarter, they're they're almost unqualified. And I was like, I have to start thinking more longer term because buying cycles can can range. And then I think I just saw how like communities and peer-to-peer buying was shaping a lot of these buying decisions. And I thought to myself, like, if I'm not involved in these communities, if I don't have a good network that is willing to refer me, I didn't think I was going to sell anything in like two, three, four years time. So it was just some trends that I was noticing and, and thinking like, is sales going to get to a point where you're really just... Before, it felt like you were kind of creating demand and capturing it in one call. And I felt like it was going to a point where it was more, how do we align this buying committee to go through this purchasing process and get them to sign on the dotted line? So I don't know. That was what I was seeing. And then at the same time, I was thinking like, hey, you're going you're gonna to love this, Ben. Is marketing now going to be more important to, to revenue than sales would be. So I might get a lot of slack for that, but I don't know. It was it was a hypothesis I had. I actually, to piggyback off of that, Arthur, I was having a conversation with one of my AEs today and I actually think marketers today are what salespeople were pre-COVID, let's say. So like, let's say three and a half, four years ago, if you were in sales at a tech company three and a half, four years ago, chances are you had like a shitload of inbound. You were sort of like, the golden child walking around the office back when we were all in offices and like you were a revenue generating machine. You were the team that was getting all the headcount. Like you were kind of the shit. And I actually think right now is probably the worst time it has ever been to be an AE in tech sales. 
the economy is just really, really tough. You have companies throwing around insane OTEs to get you in the door, knowing damn well you're not going to have a chance to hit them. Inbound leads are very, very low. You're basically like a glorified BDR. And while there's still a lot of money to be made and there's a lot of AEs having a ton of success, I would say like the average amount of success AEs are having is tremendously lower, in my opinion, than they were a few years ago. And now on the flip side, because of that, I think there's a massive emphasis on marketers in a way that there wasn't previously to help get some of that demand that everybody is sort of lacking to build these communities. It's like community led growth. I'm so sick of dash led growth, but all of these different things that companies now understand because you and like people like Nick Bennett, who are paving the path are right. This is the direction in which people are buying. And it's, yeah, I just think it's a harder time than ever to be in tech sales. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting take. And like, obviously I think Chris Walker has influenced me to, um, selling to marketers. I, I wanted to learn as much as possible. So I'd started going to state of demand gen live and just really resonated with what he was saying. And he had this idea that like we're kind of reaching the golden age of marketing, right? Whereas before they were almost sales assistants, right? Or hey, we need this deck, like go ahead and do it. And now we're actually like driving demand and driving change. So it's it's been really cool because even hearing these marketers talk, they're like, we have to unlearn a lot of these bad habits that we kind of followed in this old playbook. And I was coming in being like, I have no idea how to do marketing. So I'm just gonna listen to this guy and and some smart folks like Natalie and see if I can put my own spin on it. So yeah, very, very interesting take. Arthur, I have a question about transitioning into sales. Do you think your marketing background helped you because it adjusted to this new way of selling? Or like I know and Ben and I sometimes get into maybe disagreements about this. Like I'm sometimes overly analytical of like, okay, I need to make sure this is the perfect message, the perfect person. And I I can be a little too passive at times. Do you find that that like marketing kind of like a step back hurt when it came to sales and you had to relearn how to be a little more, I don't want to say aggressive, but maybe just like forward? Yeah, I think it was one of the things, um, and I know we kind of like briefly chatted about this of like kind of the, maybe the lack of urgency from marketing, right? And how we think that if there is pain, people will want to solve it. And all we have to do is kind of show, hey, this is what you're doing now and this is what you could be doing and a sale is going to happen. And I remember that was kind of kind of my knock on Chris Walker too, where he's like, yeah, this is like marketing is going to like do all of the work and then sales is basically going to send him a contract. And um, Ben, you're going to like this. Coming back to to the dark side, that has been like so far from the truth. And I'm realizing like sometimes people need a little bit of a push. There's so many things that you could be working on at any one point if you're not helping guide that sale and saying, hey, this is what it's going to change and listening to like, what are their key reporting needs? What are their higher ups looking to do? And how can you align yourself to that? Like my follow-up was terrible coming back into it of like, oh yeah, they'll follow up with me if they really want to close this deal. And I'm sure I probably lost deals that I could have won simply because I was just like not organized, not following up on time, not, yeah, relaying it back. I was like, our tool's cool enough. Like it'll do the trick. So it's interesting, especially like even starting out in sales, going to marketing and then thinking this whole like, yeah, people will sell themselves. Like it couldn't be farther from the truth. So just getting such an appreciation coming back into it of like these two things have to be in lockstep. And just because you find pain does not mean it's going to equal a sale. There can be so many initiatives that are going on. And if you don't get an entire buying committee aligned to that, they might just keep punting it down until like a year later. They're like, oh, yeah, about that. We we're checking out Nevada or Chili Piper back in the day. Maybe we should start looking into that because it actually is a problem. 
Arthur, I have a question for you in that same vein as you kind of come back to, to sales a little bit. It's my perspective and bias, and I could be completely wrong here. So Natalie, keep me honest. But I think the difference between marketing and sales is generally marketers are looking for a scalable way to message to a broad group of individuals, whether it's your ICP, whether it's an ABM campaign, email campaign, you name it, whatever it is, the goal is to figure out messaging that will resonate with a large group of people from like one swing. In sales, it's completely different. If I approach every single call with the same playbook, the same questions, the same kind of everything, it will not work. And so like every single call, like I have like three or four different customer calls today. Every single one of those, I need to prepare a little bit differently. I need to be like ready to think of my feet, ask different questions, offer different things. Different, like it's just all very, very, very nuanced. And we're never necessarily looking for like mass efficiencies in sales versus just like, I need to develop a relationship with Arthur at Chili Piper. What are his goals? What does he care about? That's going to be completely different than Natalie at Nevada that I'm talking to in three hours. So I wonder if that's been a little bit of a tricky mindset shift or uh, if I'm just totally off here. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. I heard this once where it was like, marketing is sales to many and sales is like one-to-one -one marketing. You almost have to paint with broad strokes when you're in marketing because you can't possibly get that nuanced. So you're trying to send this overall message. And I think like the way I approach marketing is what is the status quo, right? And how are people getting the job done today? Because they are getting from point A to point B. But how can you hint at that desired future state that's like, huh, I didn't even think I could do things that way or yeah, that would like save me so much time or, oh my God, that's something I like deal with on a daily basis. And now all of a sudden I'm, I'm recognizing that there could be a better way to do it. So I think that's marketing's job of like shining a light and being like, oh wow, there is a different way to do it. Now, when it comes to sales, now we have to like really understand their way of doing it before we can provide that solution. So yeah, I think that's part of the reason why I always like in sales calls now am so curious on who they sell to. And I've used like my background and I guess I've traditionally sold in maybe more of a transactional role, if you will, kind of 30 to 60 day sales cycles and, and oftentimes to like SMBs. And I'm actually using that experience on my sales calls being like, who are you talking to? I used to sell the dentist before Chili Piper. And they're like, oh, small medical practices. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can resonate because we were trying to call them back within five minutes we still couldn't get a hold of them. They're like, totally. Like they are not by their calendar, this and that. So now I've established credibility, but now I can sell through that perspective of like, I know your buyer. This is my recommendation. How do you think it compares to what you're doing today? I, I think you nailed it, Ben. Like we have to paint with broad strokes in marketing and get them to think maybe there's a better way. And then in sales, it's like, let me learn how you're doing it today so I can speak and give you a direct recommendation of like, okay, I think I understand your buyers. This is what I would recommend. How does that compare? So, and Ben and I have talked about this before. As a salesperson, your day seems pretty dictated by the sales calls you have, which seems kind of obvious, but like you are, have a lot of external facing calls. As a marketer, I only might have like one or two external facing calls a day. I might have a lot of internal calls, but almost the calls are the extra versus taking time away from doing my work. Well, as your salesperson, the calls are your work. How have you had to like readjust your working schedule and you have you found you like one more than the other? Yeah, this is this is such a good point. And I, I really struggled with this early on. I remember when I first switched from sales to marketing, I was thinking to myself, man, it is going to be so nice not having a quota or at least a monthly quota, right? We have these quarterly targets. I felt so lost without a quota. I was like, how am I making an impact? Like 
in sales, it's so easy. It's like, this is the revenue I closed and marketing and you don't have that instant gratification. So I, I really struggled with that. And I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm adding value. Am I doing like good enough in my job? The other point is to what you just said, Natalie, sales, you're almost like measured based on how often you're in front of the customers and having these calls. And I almost still took that measure and maybe it worked out based on like evangelism and kind of partnerships and things like that. But it felt like if I wasn't having these external calls that I wasn't doing my job. So there was a lot of unlearning that I had to do coming from sales and like being used to having that almost like a, a main KPI of like external calls. And whenever I'd see my calendar with like tons of free time, I'm like, oh man, I should be having calls here. So definitely struggled with that. I'd be curious to hear your perspective, Ben. And I know you're, you're obviously like head of sales there. Yeah, it just like helped me manage my day having these calls and being like, cool, I have two hours between my next calls that I know I have to follow up or send these emails, whatever it happened to be. And now like the more time you have to do something, the longer it's going to take. So I really struggled with that coming from sales to marketing, being like, wow, I have a whole day to do this for sure. I'll get it done. And lo and behold, it's 5 p.m. Like, oh my God, I haven't done like the top three things that I said I was going to do. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, Natalie, but hopefully that gives you a little insights into the to the struggles of like transitioning from one to the other. You know, what's funny, Arthur, is what you described with your transition from going to like sales into marketing where you didn't have that quota and you had that sense of like identity crisis of, holy cow, like how am I being measured? How am I actually bringing value to the company? Do people actually find me to be valuable here? This is like the existential question that I have been like struggling with for the past I would say like three and a half-ish, maybe four months, because for the longest time, like when I first started Arthur at, at Nevada, I was the first non-founder hire. So I was on every single sales call and I was doing that. And like, God knows I don't miss those days, right? Like that was like 15 calls a day. I'll never want to go back to that. But like, as I started to grow out the team, I continuously took a smaller and smaller step back, step back from the router and from customer calls. And I still own like a small book of business, which is a whole other conversation, but I will always own a small book of business no matter what, because you have to be in the trenches to a certain capacity. But after I no longer had like a number tied to my name and like as my team has become more tenured here at Nevadic, honestly, they're like an incredibly well-oiled machine. And like in a lot of ways, I feel like they don't even need me anymore. Like they don't need my coaching as much anymore. Like in a lot of ways, they know the prospect and the problems way better than I do because the space in which they're selling now is completely different than the market I was selling in two years ago. And it would be irresponsible of me to think anything else. And like I know like to a certain extent, I guess I'm measured in their performance, but I'm really uncomfortable with that dynamic as well. Like, I don't think I deserve any credit for like all the success that they have had. Like it's because they are amazing at what they do and like they kill it and they crush it. And I firmly believe that like they would probably crush with or without me. And that makes me really, really happy. Cause like, I feel like the best thing you can do is like work yourself out of a job so that like they can be successful no matter what. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like shitting on myself too much right now, but like it it does bring me like a, a sense of like sorrow and confusion sometimes when I'm like, well, I don't have a quota anymore. I still do close some deals and have my own pipeline and I work really closely with my team, but they're a super well-oiled machine and I don't feel like I deserve really any credit for the amazing hard work that they do. So I completely resonate with what you just said around like, oh, I kind of miss my quota and I miss being on all these customer calls all the time. It's It's been a really strange dynamic transitioning to like full-time manager and head of sales and no longer an IC at all. It, it just simplifies it, right? It's like almost like, hey, I know what I'm being measured against. And yeah, you're you're adding more variables to that. And I wish I could resonate because obviously I've never managed a sales team, but I'm sure a lot of people go through this identity crisis, right? And 
kudos to you, man. I'm, I'm sure like if you asked your sales team, they would say, no way we need Ben on this in these calls and everything like that. And just having that like moral support. But I guess, I don't know, I guess you're, yeah, you're starting to get measured on different things that to yourself maybe don't seem as valuable, but I'm sure if you asked your team, they'd be like, no, he's, he's invaluable. Like I, and yeah, maybe they're even like, if Ben wasn't here, I don't know if I would be here either. So I think you're, you're being a little too harsh on yourself, but I, I get it because it's like, it was so easy to measure your success and how much value you're adding. Um, but I guess you're, you're taking on the brunt of like bringing in the revenue. So I'm sure there's still some pressure on you. So just want to say vouching for the Nevada sales team that they would a hundred percent miss Ben if he was gone. Plus me, like I would go insane. We've said this to each other all the time. So just going to put that out there. But this is so funny to listen to because we constantly don't actually have a lot of proof that what we're doing is the reason there's success. Like we don't have that clear number that we can tie to ourselves all the time. Like I'm very appreciative. People will say nice things even internally at the company. And I'll be like, you know, what if that was going to happen anyways? What if Nevada was just naturally going to get big? And like, what if, you know, my LinkedIn posts are doing absolutely nothing? I think you have to constantly kind of question yourself as a marketer. At some point, you just have to say, I'm not going to know. And I'm just going to, you know, I'm getting good signals. But it's funny how like, We've never had that. So I'm just used to being in that limbo state of not really knowing if anything I'm doing is making a full impact and kind of just accepting it. No, it's it's funny. And like, yeah, I, I, I felt that the further you're removed from revenue, you can't just point back to number and yeah, maybe attribution models are getting better and you can actually say, hey, this is how it impacted. But Natalie, you're, you're such a fantastic marketer. Like that piece of content we did together. I don't know if I've ever shared this with you. So for the, the audience listening, me and Natalie got together. And we said, hey, how do we evaluate the state of B2B buying today? And we took a list of the top 100 SaaS companies and we put them through the ringer. We submitted inbound forms. We looked at whether or not they had interactive demos based on what we heard other B2B buyers want, which is I want to see the product before I buy it. I want to see how it works. I don't want to watch a video because like nobody learns in that way. Even if you did, you're like going back on the video and things like that. And just measuring like the state of yeah inbound buying and how does that compare to other B2B buyers, that actually became the number one blog post on Chili Piper. And I don't know how well it's performed on your end, but it was a great way to like evangelize this problem, right? Of like saying, these are the top 100 SaaS companies and they still haven't figured it out. And we have a lot to gain in terms of making that buying experience better. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think even creating that piece with you, I was thinking we're going to put it out to the world and like, this is going to be our best inbound month ever. Maybe there was a little slight increase. Maybe there wasn't, but yeah, I don't know. It's just like you work so hard on these pieces and you expect it to turn into revenue and then maybe it does, maybe it takes a year and some, some folks find it and it just like starts that buying conversation internally of like, huh, maybe we should look at how we're, we're approaching our B2B buying experience. But yeah, I don't know. It's funny because that like, I definitely have the same thing with that report because we did a lot of work with it. And you also have to sell that it's going to, you know, lead to a lot of pipeline because or else why else is your leadership team going to let you spend all this time developing a report that's ungated just to release into the world. And it's always so hard because you're like, I know that people aren't going to read a report and instantly go book a demo, but it might be the first way they heard about us or We've actually had an increase of prospects asking to use Nevadic and like Chili Piper together in an integration. It's like, oh, I wonder where you got that association from. Like you have to believe part of that has to be the marketing of it. It's just marketing's always so hard because it is so long tail. But to do some of these creative, interesting things, you have to sell it a little bit. So that's why I, I think marketing gets made fun of for pointing at vanity metrics. But you're like, I got to point at something because I know the real impacts and be long term. And I need to show there's a reason I did this. 
Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about that, Ben? I'm curious to hear your thoughts of like, what's, yeah, what are some of the, the things that Natalie's done on the marketing side that can you point back to anything and say, yes, this has like made us stand out in terms of comp competition or this has shortened the sales cycle? I don't know if you can, but I'd be curious to hear your response. So my view on marketers has completely changed since working with Natalie. Transparently, I thought very little of marketers historically, not just at like the ones at the companies I used to work at, just like broadly, like Ben, ignorant in sales. What do you think of marketers? Oh, there are non-quota carrying roles that just like play with colors and update the website once in a while. So like when I started working with Natalie, you just realized that like, it's like Rome, they say, right? Like it wasn't built in a day, but it can fall in one. And you understand, especially when you're building a business that I've said this, this is the first thing I said in our first episode, Natalie, I thought you were literally going to burst out in tears when I said it, is that like brand is more important, especially at a startup than your revenue oftentimes, right? Like building a product that people love and they want to tell their friends about and then making sure that like in certain circles or when you're Googling or when you're listening to a podcast or however you're consuming content or information, your company is in the mix. Your company is in play there. So an example of this is nothing makes me feel better and like more proud of Natalie and the brand that we're building than when I'm in all of these like godforsaken Slack channels that I hate being a part of. But you see these questions that are like, Hey, I'm evaluating interactive demo software. Anybody have any recommendations? And like within two minutes, there's like seven customers and two of our brand ambassadors that we work with and all these different examples, people just jumping in organically being like, I use Nevatic. We love Nevatic. This is Nevatic. To your point, like it isn't always super, super tangible from just like a revenue perspective, but you feel the effects of it on a day-to-day -day basis when we're just flooded with inbound leads and every corner of like all these different networks and channels. And it's the thing that's going to keep our growth. That's going to make people talk about Nevatic, want Nevatic, want to tell their friends about Nevatic. So I've just like completely changed my perspective on marketers. And I guess for both of you, something I was curious about is sometimes being a little further from direct impact and revenue. What are the wins that like gas you up and get you really excited? Because like for salespeople, it's like, I just closed a huge contract. Let's go have some drinks. I'm stoked. My week has been made. Like, this is why I do what I do. I love sales. What are those moments for you? Because sometimes it isn't always as tangible. Yeah, I, I struggled with this so much too, right? Because you have that like instant gratification. And I, I can tell you like even our Slack channels and even coming back to sales, like the first time I closed a deal, it just blew up and people were like, oh, he's back and everything. I'm like, wow, I, I kind of missed this. Like there's, yeah, it's like instant gratification. Um, you know what? Like I, I got to give a shout out to, to Chris Walker and his suggestion on like, how did you hear about us? That seems to be celebrated like a ton within our marketing Slack channels of like, if they say, hey, the B2B buyer journey report, right? Or LinkedIn or something like that, that you can say, wow, this person like, first heard about us or read this impactful thing that got them to think differently about how they're doing it today and came into our sales funnel. So that was like the first thing that came to mind. It's tough though, because like, if you're not measuring that, like you feel good when you release these campaigns or these projects and especially the, the ones that took like several months, but you're not getting that that you often get in sales. So yeah, that was the first thing that came to mind for me, Natalie. Yeah, I think just a shout out. First of all, thanks for all the kind words, Ben. But like that, like a salesperson being like, I like this lead or this campaign you did went well. I don't think salespeople realize how much like that means sometimes to be like, oh, you don't think I'm just playing with colors on the website? Like, you know, <laughs> that my job, I do something like that always feels awesome. I really and our team's so great about that. And I appreciate so much when they say like, 
hey, I heard Natalie talk to this prospect and it helped win the deal. Or like, I heard that they mentioned this report they saw that helped win the deal. So that's a big win. But somehow we're also already coming up on time. But as always, I was like, this is going to be such a fun episode where we roast the other department. And it turned out being so wholesome. I almost cried during it. So <laughs> I know listening to some of the episodes, I'm like, yeah. I was like, wow, this is uh, I was hoping a little bit of arguments. And we're just like, we all love each other. This is uh, yeah, we're partners in crime. This is great. But I was going to say, let's end with a little bit of fun, especially now that we're towards the end of our drinks. Arthur, are there any, I don't want to say stereotypes, but things that when you got back into sales, you got back into marketing, you're like, the other department's a little right about this. This is a little frustrating. Um, oh, man, it's a, it's a good one. I think um, the one that sticks out in my mind is like the urgency and how almost how optimistic marketers are, right, of like... Yes, they like that piece of content and it resonates with them and looks like there's a little bit of a pain. It's going to end up in a sale. I don't think that's the truth. And it, it's funny because like I'd say I'd spend most of my career in sales and going into marketing, I kind of forgot that. And coming back, I'm like, no, it's taking it a step further and, and really contextualizing to their situation. And sometimes... I don't want to say pushy, but you just have to be top of mind and you have to get creative in ways in which you can stay top of mind and push that forward. And I think the best way is like, yeah, what's what's in it for them, right? So that's one thing. Uh, let's let's call out the the sales folks here, Ben. I think like you you need to go deeper in terms of like losing competitive deals. And I love when reps are just like, oh, we need a one pager on this or or something like that. And it's like, is that really? going to win your deal like if you just had sent that one pager in an email they're like oh thank god you created this piece of content because i was about to buy the other competitor and now that you gave me that one pager like yes i am going to buy chili piper nevatic so i don't know if they're just looking for excuses or reasons as to why like the deal didn't close and there's so many variables to it but that's it, it always makes me laugh of like we need this piece of content i'm like ah Yes, I guess. Like there's a gap there, but uh, is it really going to move the needle? Who knows? Arthur, I have a whole rant on some other episode. I don't remember when it is like a seven minute tangent about like one of the biggest red flags I have with any AE is an AE who relies on a deck to sell or is constantly asking their team or management or marketing team for, I need this content. I need this one pager. I need that. It's like, no, you don't. And if you do need that, you're not very good at sales. Okay, last question. I promise this is the last one, Arthur, and I'll be extremely direct because I'm in sales. I'm just going to ask you directly. All right, which one's harder, sales or marketing? If you're an IC in either, please end the debate. Which job is harder if you're an IC in sales or you're an IC in marketing? Which job is harder? Okay, this is where I'm like biased because I think I'm good at sales. And I think most people would probably say sales, but coming in, like I gave myself this arbitrary goal where I was like, and I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, Natalie, I wanted to be like a CRO that kind of oversaw sales, marketing, maybe customer success, and not one that was like an excuse of a VP of sales, getting promoted into this role, being like, I don't care what marketing does. I don't value them. I don't care what CS does. Let me put 80, 90% of my budget towards sales. And I gave myself this arbitrary goal of like, can I get to this point where I feel that if I were to join another company, I'd be a top three sales rep. And I feel like I did get to that point. I really enjoy it. I like, I love talking to people. I love learning about their business. So it comes easier to me. So if you're asking me this question, Ben, I'm going to say it's marketing. I think there's like so many things that you need to learn. There's like different disciplines, sales, like you do need to contextualize to who you're speaking with, but 
it's a little bit more predictable. I don't know if that's the best word, but you kind of know what you need to do in order to get across the line. Whereas marketing things can change from week to week, from quarter to quarter. You're just like the landscape can change. There's economic conditions, like communities became huge at one point. Yeah, I think trade shows are dying. Like there's so much that is changing that I think you need to keep up with. And I recognize there's like many different disciplines in marketing. And if you're lucky, you have people in each discipline. But I think for folks like Natalie, where they just have all of this choice and they're like, what do I need to hunker down with? And like, what are the big bets I need to place that will actually make it easier for sales? That's my answer. I think marketing is a little bit more difficult. It's okay. We're going to cut all that out now. <laughs> no, 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 no. Remember who edits this? Marketing, because we do a lot. Just like did a celebratory dance when Arthur said that. I'm going to be holding that over Ben for a little bit. Thanks, Arthur. That just, that, that made my month. You're never invited back, Arthur. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm sorry. Not true. Um, this was so fun, Arthur. I know I've been talking about doing this for a little bit, but thanks for, as always, we're like, this is going to be so divisive and so many quibs are going to come out of this and that turned out to a therapy session. But it's one I think we all needed and I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's it's good sitting in the middle of it. And I just got like, I love to see how much respect and empathy you both have for each other. And clearly like you're very aligned because yeah, Ben, it's awesome to hear you talk about this and even like your perspective in the past of how it's changed. And yeah, Natalie, from like doubting yourself to obviously like making a huge difference. Um, yeah, this was a ton of fun for me. So thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining and final cheers to everyone. All right, cheers. Thanks, Arthur. <laughs>